Come on, people. Stop the insanity. Get real. Get Real About Safety podcast, where we discuss the new view of safety, the things that work, the things that don't work, and try to break down old view paradigms to help you improve safety performance in your organization. Hi, I'm Mike McCarroll. We got a great podcast for you today, and I want to start this out with six words. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Stop the over-focus on the OSHA recordable incident rate. If there is anything that needs to change in safety, it is how we measure safety performance. And the recordable rate ain't it. Now, I know some old traditionalists will find this a little bit controversial, but my job is to tell you the truth. So we got a lot to talk about today, so let's get with it. So probably the best way to start this out is to start out with a quote from the late, great Dr. Dan Peterson. Now, I don't know if you have read any of Dr. Peterson's work, Uh, But if you haven't, you really should. So here's the quote. Measuring safety effectiveness with accident statistics is basically an exercise in measuring luck. Would you agree that sometimes we are just lucky? Would you agree that sometimes we have varying exposures? Sometimes we have tasks that are high risk. Sometimes we have tasks that are just low risk. Sometimes people don't get injured in spite of themselves. Sometimes people can do things that are at risk for a long time. Maybe their entire career and they don't get hurt. Maybe they won't make it two weeks. And of course, unless it's something severe, accident rates are based on honesty and reporting. How often do people not report? The other problem, of course, is that recordable rates are lagging indicators. They are after-the-fact measurements. We don't get to excellence by measuring our failures or by counting how many people we hurt. Trying to guide safety through lagging indicators is kind of like trying to drive a car while looking through the rearview mirror. It doesn't tell us anything about what's coming down the road. It just tells us what's behind us. Just because we had six back injuries last year doesn't mean we're going to have six back injuries this year. Just because we had 15 hand cuts last year doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to have 15 hand cuts next year. Here's the other problem. Those small injury rates don't necessarily reflect something big coming down the road either. In an earlier podcast, I discussed Steve Newell. Steve was a statistician who used to work for OSHA, and he published OSHA's Blue Book on Record Keeping back in 1971. A while back, he actually gave a public apology for ever coming out with that. Steve is retired today and with another group, but he said that the recordable rate was never designed to be used at the facility level. It was only designed to be used by OSHA to measure large corporations against large corporations on a large national scale and further explain that it is a macro measure, not a micro measure. It is based on large sampling sizes. The smaller the sampling size, the less valid statistically those numbers even are. 
Now, this becomes a real problem when it's attached to things like incentives or it's attached to accountability, especially when you're measuring locations against locations or smaller sizes such as departments against departments or, heaven forbid, supervisors against supervisors. And then if it's attached to compensation and career path, it becomes grossly unfair to the supervisor. And while we'll talk about accountability and measurement systems in future podcasts, let me just give you this guiding principle of accountability. Any measurements that are used have to be fair, and they have to be achievable, and they have to be within control of the individual. The same applies to incentives. So I was in California in Los Angeles a few years ago at a chemical plant, and in conducting a culture assessment, every focus group of employees that I had would tell me that the culture there was to not report. And what we have here is a bloody pocket syndrome. In other words, someone would cut their hand, stick it in their pocket, walk out the gate at the end of the day, and never report it to management. And in fact, the employees were actually pooling in $10 apiece to send people to the doctor without ever reporting that to management. Why? Because they had an incentive program that was attached to the recordable rate. And if someone on the other side of the plant tripped over their own two feet, or they got stung by a bee, or they turned around and walked into the wall and broke their nose, the worker said, we get financially punished for that. Nothing we could have done about it. There, there wasn't any way that we could intervene and stop that. But yet, we get financially punished for it. Why should we report that? And when you think about it from their perspective, why should they? A couple of years later, I was at another location conducting a safety culture assessment for another company. When they called up, they said, we want to do a culture assessment However, before you come here, we want you to know that we are really good. We are really good. We have one of the lowest recordable rates in our industry. We have one of the lowest DART rates in our industry, or lost time rates. We have one of the lowest insurance experience modifiers in our industry. We have every safety tool and technique known, but we're still getting people hurt. And we think it's that human factors thing, and we want to drill down and see if that's what that is. So during the course of the assessment, which consists of doing some perception surveys, focus group interviews with workers, and management interviews, the consistent thing that came out over and over from the workers and the supervisors was that there is massive underreporting of injuries and near misses in the plant. The word around the plant was, unless they take you out on a stretcher in an ambulance, don't go see that nurse, whatever you do. It was really for three reasons. Number one, there was such overemphasis on the recordable rate that management overreacted. Anytime a recordable injury occurred, it resulted in more rules, more PPE, more policies, more, more, more. In addition to that, they also had an incentive program attached to the recordable rate. Nobody wanted to be the one who blew the X number of days without a recordable. It resulted in embarrassment, both individually and publicly. Who wants to be that person? The supervisors would tell you that we're actually sweeping things under the rug. 
Because of the way management responds to a recordable, with more rules, more PPE, more policies, they make it so difficult to get the work done that you're only hurting yourself by reporting something. The next one, which was the most problematic, was the way the organization conducted their investigations. Their supposed root cause analysis process was brutal. The workers and supervisors described it as a tribunal, an inquisition. It was all about blaming the worker rather than looking at the system in which they worked. They would pit one employee against the other employee, and what it had created was a blame cycle, which greatly reduced trust in management. I tell you, the number of companies we talk to where this is going on is really shocking. And most of this comes from old, invalid safety management theory, which has been debunked. So to understand this, let's have a little history lesson. Back in 1931, a gentleman named Heinrich wrote a book called Industrial Accident Prevention. And it was the first book on safety management ever written. A number of books had been written on the technical aspects of safety, but how you actually manage safety, this was the first book ever written. Now, Heinrich had a number of theories. He had one called the 88-10-2 rule. And what that rule meant, at least in his view in 1931, is that 88% of accidents are caused by unsafe acts, 10% are caused by unsafe conditions, and 2% are basically unpreventable. In other words, acts of God. An earthquake happens, swallow somebody up, you're probably not going to prevent that. The problem with that is that unsafe acts and unsafe conditions are not causes. They are symptoms. They are symptoms of a deeper problem within the operating or management system. It's sort of like you have tuberculosis and you go to the doctor and tell the doctor, my chest is hurting, I'm coughing up blood, and I'm running a fever. And the doctor writes you a prescription for each of those three things. What did the doctor just do? The doctor just treated the symptoms. He didn't diagnose the underlying disease, which is leading to the symptoms. As long as that person takes the medication, those symptoms will get better, but the disease is still there. Eventually, when the medication runs out, the symptoms are coming back, and they're going to get worse, and ultimately, that patient will die of tuberculosis because the underlying disease was not identified and corrected. Well, similarly, we do a lot of that in safety where what's identified are symptoms, not actual deeper reasons why those events occur. He also had a theory called the domino theory. And the domino theory sort of viewed accidents as a line of dominoes with each of those dominoes representing causal factors. Heinrich felt like in order to prevent accidents, you remove some of those causal factors and create space between the dominoes where the whole stack cannot fall over. We know today that that theory is not true. We don't live in a line of dominoes. We live in a Jenga block stack. And we'll talk later about Jenga blocks in later podcasts, but the domino thing is invalid. And then there's the famous triangle, which is the most problematic. Heinrich had a rule called the 129-300 rule. And this was illustrated in the form of a triangle or a pyramid. A 1 was placed at the top, 29 was placed in the middle, and 300 was placed at the bottom of the triangle. 
The one at the top of the triangle represented a major injury or fatality. The 29 represented minor injuries, and 300 represented near misses. And there was a direct correlation drawn between these. In other words, for every fatality or major injury, Heinrich felt like you had 29 minor injuries and about 300 near misses. Over the years, people took liberties to expand that triangle and started adding in more numbers at the bottom to represent unsafe conditions and unsafe acts. And so now you had triangles out there with 3,000 unsafe conditions, 30,000 unsafe acts. And, and again, the correlation being that for every fatality or major injury, you had all of those smaller things at the bottom. The theory being that in order to control the thing at the top, you control the things at the bottom. In other words, the theory was frequency breeds severity. Or, more specifically, frequency of small events breeds the larger event. And this rule has been the holy grail of how you measure safety ever since 1931. The problem is, it's not true. It's an invalid theory. So a few years back, along comes another gentleman named Fred Manuel. Manuel wanted to replicate Heinrich's original research. So he looked for all the evidence of the research and all the research papers, and here's what he found. Nothing. It didn't exist. And what's surmised is that Heinrich basically just made it up. Sounded good. Sounded logical, right? So Manuel did do research. He did empirical research, and here's what he found. It's just not true. Frequency of small events doesn't necessarily breed the larger event. What he found is that reducing small injuries at the bottom of the pyramid reduces small injuries at the bottom of the pyramid. He also found that the big events are different. They are usually singular in nature. They are unique, high-risk activities, sometimes a combination of high-risk activities, and they have very complex causal factors that are rooted deeply within the organization itself. So in other words, the small things that get people hurt are not the things that get people killed. And this is pretty significant and has huge implications for serious injury and fatality prevention. This research is validated in not only U.S. but global fatality rates. If you look at non-fatal rates, they have come down and down and down and are currently probably at their lowest rates ever. But if you look at fatality rates, that's not happened. In fact, a few years back, fatality rates leveled off. They plateaued. And in fact, to some degree, are actually going up. In other words, we've done a pretty good job of reducing small stuff. People twisting their ankles, cutting their hands. What we haven't done a good job of is reducing the most devastating injuries. A while back at Georgia Tech, I had some people from a major oil company from California that came and took the human performance course. I'm always curious as to why people take the courses because I know that that particular company has very sophisticated safety programs. And so I asked, why are you here? They said, we've done a pretty good job of reducing non-fatal rates, minor recordable injuries, but we're still killing eight people a year in our refineries. We're missing something. 
If you look at just the statistics here in the United States published by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, just the most recent ones that came out validate this again. Non-fatal rates are at the lowest rates ever. Fatality rates are not. So if we keep doing the same things over and over, we're just going to get some more of the same results. We've got to do things differently. We have to change our strategy. Further studies conducted around this have consistently shown that there is actually a pyramid within the pyramid. Within the larger pyramid of all the recordables and lost times and near misses and all of those sorts of things, there is a much narrower pyramid. And that narrower pyramid represents about 20% of the overall. That 20% represents serious injuries or fatalities, or SIFs, or PSIFs, which would be potential serious injuries or fatalities. About 20%. And you know, that's right in line with the 80-20 rule, the Pareto principle. The message from Manuel is to focus on the vital few versus the trivial many. Now, before somebody gets upset, let me say this. Nothing in this says that you ignore the small stuff. You have to deal with the small stuff. You're trying to build a culture. You want people to report everything. And you still have workers' comp. You still have to deal with minor injuries. But what it does have to do with is how we apply our resources and how we respond. I have known companies that would spend a week conducting a root cause analysis because somebody got a splinter in their finger. Give me a break. Let's stop the insanity, folks. Every injury is not equal. And in fact, every hazard is not equal. Every hazard carries varying degrees of risk. In other words, if somebody hits their thumb with a hammer, or we have 30 people that hit a thumb with a hammer, that's probably not going to lead to a fatality, you think? Four people last year twisted their ankle. That's probably not going to lead to a fatality. So why do we put so much emphasis on those things? Yeah, nobody wants anybody to twist an ankle. Nobody wants anybody to cut their hand. And we feel sorry for those folks, and we treat those folks. But the problem is, when we become so over-focused on the little stuff, we tend to miss the big stuff. I'll give you an example. A few years back, most of you probably remember the I-35 bridge that collapsed in Minneapolis. that killed a bunch of people. One of our clients rebuilt that bridge. We were conducting a safety culture assessment on that project. During that process, I remember interviewing a world-known bridge engineer. This guy, regardless of who the contractor was, built some of the most complicated suspension bridges in the world. As I was interviewing him, he pointed out some books on his credenza and said, that's my concern over there. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, one of the things that bothers me about safety, and in fact, one of the things that bothers me about the way safety people are even trained, is it's all around this personal injury stuff. It's not around catastrophic events. He said, I have people running around out there worried about somebody wearing their gloves or getting a scratch on their hand or twisting their ankle. The problem is, you back up too many concrete trucks on that bridge span, you're going to collapse that bridge and kill 150 people in one fell swoop, and nobody is seeing that. 
He said, if I was not looking for that, nobody would see it. We would have a catastrophe. And that's really true. We spend so much time looking at little stuff, we miss the fact that that crane is getting ready to turn over out there or that that concrete slab is about to collapse because of inadequate support or that we have an overpressurized tank in the plant or we have significant leaks and people are breathing toxic vapors, but yet they got their safety glasses on, right? One of the things recommended by Manuel and the other studies is that organizations split out SIFs and PSIFs from the regular recordable rate. In other words, SIFs are the number of serious injuries and fatalities that have occurred. PSIFs are the potential serious injuries and fatalities. For example, for every hazard and for every recordable and for every near miss, it is easy enough to determine did it have a high or low potential for a serious injury or fatality. Again, if somebody twisted their knee, probably not a lot of potential for a serious injury or fatality. But let's say that somebody falls and they just happen to not get hurt. Years ago, when I was in construction, I had a guy who fell 30 feet off a bridge abutment. He wasn't tied off. He didn't get hurt. He fell in mud about three feet thick. The guy actually got up and went back to work. But was there a potential? Or let's say you have an electrical worker who has a minor arc flash, burned the tip of their fingers. It was a minor recordable. But was there a potential for a greater situation? Obviously. By splitting out SIFs and PSIFs, it helps us to focus our efforts, focus our resources on the vital few. Many companies are doing this today and in fact, I know of a few, a large power company, that doesn't even talk about recordables anymore. The only thing they talk about with their workers and with their managers are SIF rates and PSIF rates. That's where they apply their time, their analysis, their learning teams, and their resources. Another thing that came out of these modern studies is a model. And that model shows that high-risk activities typically lead to most of the fatalities and serious injuries. These are typically things covered by cardinal safety rules. Of course, rules are important and we have to have rules, but rules are the last line of defense. If they fail, there's nothing to stop the bad event from occurring. Within high-risk activities, there are typically precursors or SIF precursors. These precursors are typically people skipping steps in procedures, taking shortcuts, and the question becomes, do we know that's happening? Do we have the visibility? Do we have the relationship? Do we have the trust with the workers where they're going to come up and say, this procedure doesn't work. This procedure doesn't match the work. Or, I'm having to take shortcuts to get this work done because of the schedule, or because of the budget, or because of staffing, or other underlying conditions that lie within the system? Or are we so focused on safety glasses and gloves that that's all we see? This is how fatal and serious events occur. You know, to further continue the insanity, this kind of goes along with the podcast I did recently on the fallacy of zero, is that when management espouses zero, that means zero what? Does that mean zero every bee sting? 
every twisted ankle? Give me a break. I would venture to say that we are probably not going to kill every bee on the planet so somebody doesn't get a recordable bee sting. Or that a contractor is probably not going to remove every dirt clod off a construction site so that somebody doesn't twist their ankle. So when management says zero, do they really mean zero? This is why management loses credibility in the eyes of the workers when they talk that stuff. But look, this stuff is still so prevalent. There are still people out there preaching the Heinrich Triangle when we've been knowing this is invalid now for several years. In fact, I just recently saw somebody giving a presentation about that, espousing that frequency breeds severity. Recently, I had a client tell me, working for a large power company, that because of a few recordables, they were called into a meeting. And they were basically raked over the coals and told, the big one is coming. You've had these recordables recently, and frequency breeds severity, the big one is coming. Now, if you look at the recordables that these folks actually had, they were minor recordables. They had a guy nick his thumb working with a razor knife, a guy who got a minor burn on his hand by touching the muffler on a generator, and a guy who sustained a minor back injury from improper lifting. Of course, none of these had SIF potential, but yet, the big one's coming, right? Folks, the insanity just goes on and on and on. Another thing you see quite frequently is when the recordable rate goes up, sometimes corporate sends out the fixers. They tend to send out a team of safety people to a plant. They rake the plant over the coals about the recordable rates with no delineation between SIFs, PSIFs, and minor recordable rates. The amount of time, money, and resources that gets wasted around this crap is absolutely astounding. Another huge issue with overfocus on the recordable rate is it leads to drift. Now, in future podcasts, we will talk a lot about organizational drift. But when organizations focus on the recordable rate as the only measure of safety effectiveness, it deludes organizations into thinking they're better than what they actually are. As a result, what happens is management is blindsided. They go along for a few years without a recordable or a lost time or a bad injury and think they're doing good. And then when a bad event occurs, they feel like they are blindsided. They simply did not see it coming. Another big issue with overfocus on the recordable rate is that when an organization actually improves its culture and improves reporting, the rates go up. I recently had a client with massive underreporting, and we had the conversation that as you open up the culture, those rates are going to go up. You need to talk to corporate, and they need to understand that this is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Now we'll be getting good reporting. We actually know what's going on rather than people hiding injuries and near misses. Now you might ask yourself, though, shouldn't corporate be a little more sophisticated than a plant location? Yes, they should, but you would be surprised how often that is not the case. How often senior safety people are still steeped in old beliefs, old invalid theory, and old paradigms. So why do people hold on to those old beliefs? There are a number of reasons. Laziness could be a part of it, just too lazy to avail themselves of modern science. 
could be a little bit of the know-it-all syndrome of people thinking they know everything and not knowing what they don't know. So what do we need to do about all of this? We need to change our thinking. We need to move our safety thinking into the modern world. I mean, after all, this is 2020, folks. We need to move away from the overfocus on lagging indicators and where we do use lagging indicators, split those out between SIFs and PSIFs and the, what I would call a minor injury rate. We need to focus a whole lot more on leading indicators, which we will discuss in later podcasts. And in fact, we need to not be so overfocused on measurements. So I'm going to leave you with a quote today I want you to ponder on. This is a quote that's been attributed to Einstein, to William Bruce Cameron, to Hilliard Jason, and a few other folks, so who knows who actually said it. But the quote is, not everything that can be counted counts, and not everything that counts can be counted. Think about that. Well, that's the podcast for today. I hope you found it of value. Have a great day, have a great week, and go out and save a life.